0: we we'll
1: So that is a segment from an '80s band that's still actually together for the most part. Dave Mustaine. I open up with Megadeth. I open up with Seek and Destroy, and 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 that's that's always because we're he, he, of the truth. We're seeking out to destroy corruption. Very simple, clearly put. Now, some of these kind of rock and roll heavy metal that's a little heavier than roll but rock bands uh obviously have uh very intellectual deep if you will lyrics and that and 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 that that thereby there's there's nothing shallow about that um and where do we find ourselves today and look whether you question the motives of not, 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 not your government, but the strings to pull your government, because what we look at here is the deep state, and 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 we fundamentally look at something that many, many people, scholars, academic or otherwise, uh, uh, experts, argue that it is unconstitu- unconstitutional. That would be the the uh, Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve of the United States, which is uh, conducive in many regards uh, to a central bank. Isn't that what the founding fathers of the U.S., that there's an argument, isn't that what they strayed away from? Is that in part, principally apart from the seeking of religious freedom that led those aboard the Mayflower uh, to leave, uh, was it Dartmouth in, in England? Uh, and they landed, of course, as we know, Plymouth Rock. So is the, is it un-American, right? Is, is that what these European ancestors uh, that essentially were the first to form this country is that what they, in principle, again? Was that is that what they were escaping? I mean, there's there's basically two fundamentals that we look at. Um, the Roman Empire falls apart, but what what was the argument against the Roman Empire? Why did it disintegrate into what we know as France, Germany, England, Italy? uh Spain, right? I'm just mentioning a few, but why 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 did it break up into uh these different countries? Well in large part because of religious freedom, right? Who who gives who gives any who gives any man the right or woman the right to demand that they or any population or civilization believe in one form of theology, religiously, right? And that, and that's that's one of the beauties of the U.S. Constitution is that it's a cornerstone. Religious freedom is a cornerstone. Uh, so you know, and 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 then and then argument here, apart from that, would be uh, breaking away from a central bank. I mean. Literally, if you take Mexico, for example, and you know, Trump's got a big issue with Mexico or or at least he wants to build a wall with Mexico to help strengthen uh, the security of the U.S. I I have an issue with that. I I happen to love Mexico and and Mexicans themselves are benign. And we look at 9-11, the uh, terrorists that flew those planes and blew up those towers, well, I don't I don't believe they crossed the uh, any border, the U.S. border with Mexico. Any part of that border. Texas, Arizona, California, New Mexico. I I don't believe they crossed that border or swam across the Rio Grande. I I, I believe they probably came in through either JFK or uh, uh, LaGuardia, Miami, one of these principal East Coast-based airports and established the residency, enrolled in school, learned how to fly uh, these jets. Okay, so the build-a-wall argument is to help fortify and strengthen the security of this country is absolutely ridiculous as far as i am concerned and i try to stray away from my opinions but that's just my opinion but if you look at mexico for example what was the you know what was one of the leading Osef Ortiz and uh, what were some of the leading arguments for mexico to gain its independence because mexico happens to be uh, it used to be known as new spain it's 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 the original Land colony. Uh, I mean, there's other Spanish holdings, Cuba. I think Dominican Republic was the oldest, but Mexico is certainly one of the oldest. And and I believe that that cathedral there in Mexico is, is is one of the oldest cathedrals, if not the oldest cathedral in in the New World, if you will. But they, you know, they broke apart because hey, they're paying their they're paying their tithing, and that's going that's going to the church. But they're also paying their taxes, and it's going to the church. You know, so it's a, it's a total kind of monopoly. And so, in contrast to the United States, what are what are what are some of the the things that have made this country so so great and and prosperous, right? Um, you know, a, apart from the fact that it has a a surplus of twenty trillion dollar debt, uh, but you know, what's what's made it great because it has some a, incredible learning institutions and some cre- incredible things have come from. Uh, the balance of its of its, if you will, its constitution. I mean, uh, the, the the Wright brothers, um, uh, you know, Stanford and Google and uh, the, the electrical pole, Benjamin Franklin, um, electricity. So, I mean, there's there's obviously some some incredible products that have come from uh, this country to contribute to um, uh, society and all globally and help people. Uh, live a better life. Anyway, so 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 holy wars. Uh, Megadeth, nineteen eighties, uh, writing right uh, writing those lyrics. I, and I, I I mentioned I'd play that. It got chopped up uh, during the during the episode last week. Let's get into uh, guests. I am your host. After a ten minute wind, I am your host of discussion to truth. I come at you every Wednesday, five o'clock. Ian Trocier. Find me on Twitter. Find me on Instagram. It's I A N T R O T T I E R. IanTrotJay.com. Find all my past guests. This is, I believe, uh, episode number 102. Last week, Eric Karlstrom joined us uh, and spoke in depth about his research, very controversial uh, research regarding uh, the ins and outs of of, uh, the United States. He began uh, questioning, excuse me, various moments uh, motives of various departments within the United States government uh, and again I I, I I love the government I love the constitution but I think that there are strings pulling the government uh, that aren't in the best interests always uh, read my read my uh, article on Zika, Miami Beach uh, bit.ly.com, bitly slash, uh, capital Z-I-K-A, all capitals, uh, Miami, uh, with capital M, and then Beach with a capital B. That right there in your, uh, web browser, uh, will pull up my, my article. Um, but, uh, there are strings, uh, that certainly I argue that don't have the best interest of, uh, 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 of 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 a free society, uh, Martin Luther King argued something very similar. Uh, uh, John F. Kennedy argued something uh, very similar. Uh, Edward Snowden, Snowden, I think, uh, argues uh, something uh, very similar. And I and I believe our guest today, uh, Madeline Goodman, will uh, will argue uh, uh, certainly that the Central Intelligence Agency um, has uh, has has some some major issues. So anyway, last week, uh, Doctor Eric Carlstrom joined us. Uh, to talk uh, primarily primarily about uh, 9/11 uh, and uh, gang stalking and some other elements uh, that he believes are, are pertinent to you understanding what's what's happening in 2019 in in, in, in not only the not only globally but the United States. Um, as I mentioned today, uh, in in a few moments, Melvin Allen Goodman. Senior Fellow at the Central Intelligence, uh, excuse me, Center for International Policy in D.C. He's the author of widely acclaimed Whistleblower at the CIA. Mel, and in his decades-long career, that's 1960 to 1990, 30 years, uh, a la Ray McGovern, past guest on the show. Career at the CIA, Senior Analyst and Division Chief, as he vehemently began opposing the growing ethical ground of developing biased culture. Uh, within the CIA, he strongly opposed the appointment of Robert Gates in 1992 as CIA director. Melvin is an, uh, an adjunct professor of international relations at uh, John Hopkins. Uh, he's currently he's uh, currently currently works uh, Rocket Man, Nuclear Madness, and the Mind of Donald Trump. Forty two year government career. Brings uh, uh, brings he brings uh, that mindset to Winwood Radio and discusses the truth February twentieth twentieth. Andy Thomas will join us. He's a UK based researcher. He's written a book called The Truth Agenda: Making Sense of Unexplained Mysteries, Cover-ups, and Visions. For a new era. It's about a 10-year-old book. February 27th, let me get to that in a moment, before uh, March 6th, we've got Tony Gosling, another uh, UK-based uh, investigative reporter and researcher historian. Uh, he operates the, the, the domain name Bilderberg.com and as we know annually, the Bilderberg Conference uh, brings in extreme financial and otherwise heavyweights to, um, to that hotel. So, February 27th, Richard Lighthouse will join the program. Lighthouse holds a Master's of Science in Mechanical Engineering from Stanford University, and he's previously worked for NASA. By the way, um, uh, Dennis Bushnell, Chief Scientist at Langley, uh, will be joining the program. We, we, because of the government shutdown, we've had to reschedule him, so we're going to push him out a little bit, let him catch up with his work, push him out into April. Uh, But Lighthouse, a former NASA employee, employee, regularly submits self-publications via Smashwords, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon. He makes the following assertion regarding reality as we know it via his uh, 2013 publication. This is up on my website. An uh, electrical universe exists which forms the underlying structure for all physical universes such as our own. In our terms, this is all, quote, this electrical universe consists of s- zero dimensions, a single point. Electrical universe consists of electrical charges of varying intensity, volts, and uh, range, amp. Uh, energy equals joules, equal volts. Um, the This EU exists independently from our physical university, how, uh, universe. However, our physical universe overlays and is dependent upon the physics that reside within the EU electrical universe, is an analog continuous system, whereas our physical universe is a discrete digital system. Our universe literally blinks off and on at a high frequency, end quote. Now, let's get into, because he's also very skeptical about the financial system, let's get into his quote regarding the financial system. And this may cause you to raise an eyebrow. He has also been highly vocal regarding his opinion of the global financial system. Again, this is Richard Lighthouse, uh, master's degree from... um, Mechanical, excuse me, mechanical engineering degree from Stanford. With interest being broadened spectrum, he is quoted as saying the following regarding fraud and misrepresentation on the London Stock Exchange. Quote. This is very interesting. Again, he's joining the program February 27th and uh, shortly we will bringing uh, Melvin Goodman on. Richard says, Lloyd's Banking Group. You ever heard of the bank Lloyd's of London? Okay, well, uh, Richard says, Lighthouse says, Lloyd's Banking Group uh, is probably the largest corporation in the world with a global market capitalization exceeding 2.4 quadrillion USD, according to Yahoo Finance. This company was formed in 1995, but based on its financials, it appears to be hiding trillions of dollars in assets. The total market capitalization of the stocks listed on the London Stock Exchange as... LLD2, LLD5, LLD6, and LLD7 are quite large. In fact, it is larger than all other banks in the world combined. Think about that because it bears repeating one bank in London has more assets and value than all other banks in the world. It is at least 100 times larger than, for example, the next largest bank, which is J P Morgan Chase. Do you think that could possibly be true? Do you think that could possibly be true? Additionally, he holds strong claims that the FBI and the CIA, criminal are or, or criminal organizations in conjunction with the with the NSA in the United States. He claims that Americans, every one of them, is being tracked with satellite microwave pulses, and that this is in a violation of American civil rights. Go to my website, I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-R, and click on that Smashwords publication, Mathematical Solution on Unifying the Four Fundamental Forces in Nature. And uh, I'll try to get a link up there to that uh, Lloyd's at London quote from him. So that'll be March 27th. uh, And, and of course, we've got uh, Kevin Shipp confirmed to join the program, get that date to later, and uh, got a number of other guests in the work to, uh, to bring your way. Cutting to a break, and we will return with uh, Melvin Goodman. This is Discussions of Truth every Wednesday at five o'clock p.m. Uh, you can join. You can join us right here for um, for some uh, interesting, uh, interesting conversation to get you get you thinking, get your intellect uh, broadened and open. I'll be right back. This is Ian Trottier. Seek and destroy. Seeking out corruption to do nothing other than obliterate it. Destroy it. We are joined now by Melvin Goodman. Daniel Ellsberg has this to say about uh, Melvin's book, uh, one of his latest books, and and he's writing a new one on Donald Trump. But uh, Whistleblower at the CIA offers a fascinating glimpse into the secret, behind-the-scenes world of U.S. intelligence. Melvin, first-person account into the systematic manipulation of intelligence intelligence at the CIA underscores why whistleblowing is so important and why the institutional obstacles to it are so intense. Goodman exposes a lot of dirty linen, boldly naming names, not only agency insiders, but journalistic gatekeepers, a very enlightening backstage account of major historical events and how the public has been kept uninformed, America, about them. Dangerously so in terms of our democracy and, and of many lost Lives Like the high level assessments he was trained to produce at the CIA, whistleblower draws from many sources. It is part of memoir, part analyst of open sources at its core. It is an invaluable historical expose, a testimony to integrity and conscience and a call for U.S. intelligence community to keep its top leaders in check. Checks and balances, urgent, timely and deeply recommended. Melvin, how are you?
0: I'm fine. There's so much going on; it's hard to keep up with all of it.
1: Well, well, let's start with uh, let's start with Trump. What's going on, in your opinion, with Trump?
0: Well, I think it's the unwinding of the administration. We've survived two years. It's going to be very difficult to survive the next two. But I think the walls are closing in, and what it's exposing is that, particularly in foreign policy and national security policy, there is no policy, there is no process, there aren't personnel who really know how to conduct diplomacy, uh, certainly not international diplomacy. And when you look at the intelligence community yesterday that gave its world assessment uh, threat, its briefing to the Congress, they disagreed with Trump on just about every major issue, particularly the Iran nuclear accord, North Korean uh, nuclear weapons programs, uh, a variety of issues whether we really need a border war if the a yeah. border wall if there's a security crisis on the border so today typically Trump essentially dismissed all of their advice and said they should go back to school so this is a president who operates by the seat of his pants uh, Jeb Bush said it best at the debate in Florida uh, he's a chaos candidate he will be a chaos president and I say if you elect a clown you should expect a circus, and that's what we've had for two years—two years of a circus.
1: Yeah, it's pretty despicable. I mean, I—I'm laughing, but I guess—I guess at the moment we arguably still have that uh, luxury um, to laugh, but it's certainly no laughing matter. There, there was a report this morning. I don't know if you caught it, um, that there was uh, a large amounts of gold. Bullion being taken from Venezuela. You, have you heard that? And do you have any comment on that?
0: Well, I haven't heard it. Uh, but uh, if you look at the economy of Venezuela, uh... it's it's plummeting essentially. And when you think of Venezuela, as I do, is the country with the largest oil reserves in the world. Yeah. Uh, this is a country that should be having no economic problems whatsoever. But that's what Maduro has done to the country. And now we have this serious political crisis. And John Bolton, the National Security Advisor, has behaved irresponsibly by carrying around this clipboard with the message on it, 5,000 troops to Colombia, that he hoped would be picked up by the television cameras, and of course it was. Uh, The last thing we need to to do is be threatening military force in Venezuela. When you look at America's colonial history in uh, South America, this is a problem that Venezuela is going to have to solve, uh, and there's going to have to be coordination among their South American neighbors, but we shouldn't be threatening force. There's no need to be threatening force uh, at this time.
1: Yeah, we definitely need to stabilize and, and in my opinion, promote um, free thinking, justice for all, um, the, the liberty, the uh, principles that, that, uh, that are based on, uh, uh, written by the, the U.S. Constitution. But Trump, does Trump have a war on American governance?
0: Well, that's the subtitle of my book, American Carnage. Trump's war on governance, if you look at what he's done to essentially every cabinet department of the government, start with the people he's appointed, a group of people who are either incompetent, uh, which is what you have, DeVos at Education and Carson at uh, Housing and Urban Development, or people who are essentially very dangerous and have already been uh, dismissed from the government, people like Scott Pruitt, who was uh, guilty of all sorts of uh, fraudulent practices, uh, if you look at the Interior Secretary, Zinke, he's gone. Uh, if you look at the Cabinet, one-third of the Cabinet is gone. You have a government of, of acting officials. You have an acting Secretary of Defense uh, right now. Then if you look at the State Department, the State Department has essentially been uh, totally undermined. You, you rarely see any discussion of an international matter that mentions any State Department official other than the Secretary of State who considers himself the uh, head of the Department of Swagger, Mike Pompeo, who wasn't qualified to lead the CIA, and he's less qualified to lead the State Department. No other name ever gets mentioned. And most of the positions at the State Department over the past two years under first Rex Tillerson, who wasn't qualified, and now Pompeo, who is actually downright dangerous because of his bellicose nature, uh there aren't ambassadors to forty countries, there aren't assistant secretaries of state to about half of the regions uh of the world. This is a government that is sort of disappearing uh as we speak. So you have one man, uh you have Donald Trump who thinks he understands all of this. And this is a man who uh doesn't read, who doesn't appear to be curious, uh who's not interested in international matters but thinks he knows more than anybody and holds these secret talks with leaders such as Vladimir Putin, in which there are no note-takers, no uh, historical record. We've never had anything like this before. We've had corruption. We've had teapot dome scandals. We had the problems that Ulysses Grant created. We had Andrew Johnson, uh, who was nearly impeached after the Civil War. But you never had had anyone as corrupt um, and as loathsome, I think, as Donald Trump uh, in the White House. And I don't think people really took it seriously until finally the the good Marine General, James Mad Dog Mattis, resigned in protest. And they thought, well, if Mattis is residing in protest, and his nickname is Mad Dog, uh, maybe I better start paying attention. Uh, so I think the country is on the verge of waking up and understanding how bad this situation is. So yes, it is a war on governance. It's a war on our Constitution. Yeah. You know, I- it's a war on separation of powers. And until the Democrats took over the House in uh, November, in that election, uh, you had a Republican Party and a Republican leadership that was totally complicit. And, and this is extremely dangerous.
1: Yeah. Melvin, how, how is it, in your opinion? Now, you've you, you spent uh, three decades in, in the CIA. Four C- decades, actually. Four decades in the CIA?
0: Forty no forty two years with the U.S. Army, the Department of State, the Department of Defense, and twenty four years of that with the Central Intelligence Agency.
1: So that's that's forty two years in 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 the more or less upper echelons of the undergoings of of, of of the U.S. government. And you've 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 kind of you've looked back and you've analyzed from Truman onward uh, these other kind of influences they've had. How is it, in your opinion, how is it that America, as we know it, got to a point where a man—and I'm—and—and—and I'm, and, and, and I'm not—I don't want to belittle him at all—but I, I, I certainly—I I would think there's there's more qualified individuals to lead this country. How is it that Donald Trump uh, was able to? take that Oval, Oval Office and be elected? How, how, in your opinion, how is it? How, how, did, well, how did that happen?
0: I think there's a long-term historical factor we should be aware of and then a short-term factor. The long-term factor is this is exactly what the Founding Fathers warned about and why they didn't create a democracy. Uh, they didn't trust the people of the United States uh, to conduct a democracy because if you have a democracy, anyone can get elected president. And with Donald Trump, you, you see anyone. That's why they were very careful. That's why there's an electoral college and not the direct vote of the citizens of America. That's why you didn't have direct election of senators. That's why uh, people of color couldn't vote, women couldn't uh, vote. You really needed property or some uh, uh, value in terms of uh, an estate or property or enterprise uh, to be even eligible to be a representative of the United States government. And when George Washington... Uh, left his farewell address, which is famous for his expression to avoid entangling alliances, he also warned against factions and uh, the danger of factions within political parties. So when you fast forward to the current situation, it's very interesting. If you look at the 2016 election, the Democratic and Republican parties uh, were dysfunctional. The Democrats really were, in terms of the campaign, it was dominated by someone who wasn't a Democrat. I think it's interesting that an independent such as Bernie Sanders, who I think could have defeated Donald Trump, really captured the imagination of the uh, Democratic Party and the people who voted as uh, Democrats. And the Republicans, of course, completely collapsed by nominating Donald Trump. Now, once upon a time, you had filters in the system where uh, a demagogue uh, could not get the nomination of his party, let alone win an election for the presidency of the United States. And I think of people like Huey Long, uh, George Wallace, Joseph McCarthy. There were filters within the system. There were guardrails within the system. So essentially what is broken down is the party structure that we have. Uh, that's why you look at the Democratic race right now. There are already about how many, seven or eight people already right. uh, throwing their hats into the ring. And by the time we're done with this, there are probably going to be 20 candidates plus Howard Schultz of Starbucks who's going to run as an independent. So the, hmm. the system is totally broken, and I think to some degree technology is responsible for that because most people now get their news from social media, particularly mm-hmm. Facebook. Uh, journalism is essentially dying uh, in this country. It's fortunate, frankly, to have talk radio where you can uh, discuss context yeah. and discuss issues over a period of time, not the sound bites you get on television or the lack of context you get in the press, except for maybe – three newspapers, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post. So you have this dumbing down of America uh, which allowed a Donald Trump to emerge. And remember, he's not the problem. He's a symptom of a larger problem. But he did attract 63 million voters. Uh, and this is what right. I find so alarming.
1: Right. And and and, and, and I, I believe it was Clinton that won that majority vote, but then it went back to the Electoral College, and, and that's what put him in, in the exactly. White House. But
0: But think about this. If you look at the last... Um, Well, the the two elections that were decided by the Electoral College, that would be George W. Bush. Gore had 500,000 more votes than um, Bush. Hillary Clinton had nearly 3 million more votes uh, than Donald Trump. But these two presidents who didn't get a popular majority have nominated four of the five justices on the Supreme Court who were so incredibly conservative. So to me, the, the Supreme Court itself, which is the most important guardrail we have, the most important filter we have, has yep. been corrupted by the fact that two presidents who are popularly elected have appointed uh four of the five justices. So now we're relying on John Roberts uh to be the swing vote, which is kind of ironic when you think about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that, that that that's a really good point, Melvin. I, uh, that's a that's a really good point. Um whistleblower at the CIA. Let's let's get into that a little bit. Um wh- wh- tell us tell us a little bit a, a little bit about about that book and um, and, and, and and what it was in the CIA that you found that there was a shift in the culture. It, it wasn't the same, maybe it wasn't the same organization that you had joined.
0: No, certainly I joined the organization in 1966 out of graduate school, Indiana University. Um, and it was an exciting place uh, to be until the 1980s, and that's when Ronald Reagan, uh, appointed an ideologue, William Casey, to be the CIA director, and he appointed a deputy, Robert Gates. And what Casey and Gates did was to politicize the intelligence. They put a policy spin on the intelligence, which is exactly what Harry Truman didn't want when he created the CIA in 1947. Uh, so in 1990, uh, I resigned, and in 1991, I testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee against the confirmation of Robert Gates as a CIA director. Uh, because, remember, George H.W. Bush, who who knew uh, Bob Gates, and he knew that Bob Gates knew a lot of the secrets of Iran-Contra. He was nearly indicted in the Iran-Contra investigation, but they decided uh, that there were bigger fish to fry. But Gates knew a lot of the secrets about George H.W. Bush and his own involvement uh, with uh, Iran-Contra, which is why George H.W. Bush, on Christmas Eve, right before he was leaving the White House, pardoned, uh, six major individuals, including Secretary of Defense Casper Weinberger, who, who knew about and had recorded in his diary all of Bush's involvement with Iran-Contra. Uh, so this was like the end of the cover-up. The cover-up was final after Bush pardoned these people. But by the 1980s, it was clear that the CIA was politicizing intelligence, and that's when I decided to leave. So I think it's important to understand the, the the politicization of intelligence and how dangerous it is, because 10 years later it was politicized intelligence that led us into a war with Iraq on the basis of total, total misinformation, right. in some cases disinformation, and that it wasn't just mistaken information, but mistaken information that they knew was wrong, right. but put it before the American people, the lies about Uh, Saddam Hussein's connections to uh, Osama bin Laden, or the lies about Iraq's connections to Al-Qaeda, or Iraq's role in 9-11, or or Iraq training members of Al-Qaeda. All these were lies put forward by a CIA director by the name of George Tenet and his deputy, John McLaughlin, who's a regular spokesman for national security interests, by the way, on MSNBC, uh, which is supposed to be the liberal uh, network, but yet they use someone as corrupt as John McLaughlin to explain national security to its audience. So I thought... These are stories that needed to be told. The CIA was obviously unhappy with the book because they dragged their heels for 11 months. I mean, I know there's people who are slow readers, but it shouldn't have taken 11 months uh, for the CIA to clear that uh, book. Yeah. Uh, and it, it took a lot of pressure on the CIA to get them to finally release it. And it doesn't compromise intelligence. It's not going to compromise the sovereignty of the United States. But it is embarrassing to a central intelligence agency that has as its logo the truth shall set you free. That's the logo that's in the uh, entrance to the headquarters building in Langley, Virginia. Uh, and this is an organization that wasn't looking for truth. And I know truth is elusive. and It's not easy to wrap your arms around truth, but they weren't even looking for it. Uh, and this is, this is dangerous. That's why yesterday I was happy about the fact that these intelligence chiefs were standing up to donald trump and his distortions of policy and intelligence so maybe the system is getting back on the rails i I certainly hope so
1: melvin what were they looking for if they weren't looking for truth
0: well they were looking for evidence to support the policy policy positions of ronald reagan in the nineteen eighties what ronald reagan wanted to do which was totally unnecessary was to engage in the biggest peacetime expansion of the defense budget in our history. To do that, you needed to have a threat. Uh, And the obvious threat to convince the Congress to vote for an expanded, bloated defense budget would be exaggerating the power of the Soviet Union. And remember, the Soviet Union was falling apart in the 1980s. They finally collapsed in 1991. But Casey and Gates went about the mission of uh, distorting the intelligence on the Soviet Union. So then you fast forward 10, 12 years, and you have Uh, Dick Cheney, I'm sure a lot of people have seen Vice, uh, if they haven't read the the wonderful biography on Dick Cheney, and they know that he wanted to go to war to create a more powerful presidency, and he wanted distorted intelligence to do that, and that's what George Tenet and John McLaughlin were doing, just as Bill Casey and Bob Gates were doing it in the the 1980s. So this is uh, the total failure of what the intelligence community should be about. The total failure of what Harry Truman was trying uh, to create in 1947, and it was very controversial to have a secret intelligence organization within our democracy. Anytime you have a free democracy, which is supposed to be open-ended, and then try to establish a secret agency within that uh, democracy, you're creating a a potential problem that's why you need oversight. And remember, there was no congressional oversight whatsoever until the 1970s, and that was because of all of the lies and crimes that were committed during Vietnam. You know, we talk about massive surveillance now and uh, monitoring the activities of American citizens. All that was done in Operation Chaos, what they called COINTELPRO, counterintelligence program. Uh, the FBI broke the law. The CIA broke the law. The National Security Agency broke the law. That's when you finally got oversight. But then oversight became uh, politicized. You know, Just look at the recent years. The Republicans in the House Intelligence Committee, the leader Devin Nunes, until the Democratic victory in November uh, 2018, he was acting as uh, Trump's defense attorney. So you, you have to have an intelligence community and an, intel- and an oversight process that avoids politicization. Uh, that basically is bipartisan in terms of oversight and independent in terms of intelligence. And this is what we didn't have in the 1980s, and we didn't have in the run-up to the war with Iraq in 2003.
1: So, by the way, the the gold that evidently is being removed or or projected to remove from Venezuela has a a Russian uh, tie to it. That was the report that I that I read this morning. Um, So we've got some major oversights and cover ups going on in the CIA. And it sounds like that shift was happening under the Reagan administration. And by the time it gets to uh, uh, Bush, uh, the second, uh, we've got a major uh, oversight with, uh, with 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 nine eleven happening, in your opinion, what what happened there? Why, how is it that 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 was uh, uh, not seen or not prevented?
0: Well, there are two kinds of intelligence failures. There's just legitimate failure in which you're just wrong, or there's politicized uh, failure where you're trying to be wrong because you're you're suiting the policy interests. So when you look at um, well, the Iraq War and all the intelligence about uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq. That was right. politicized intelligence. But when you look at uh, 9-11, which I think was an intelligence failure, intelligence uh, I think intelligence was sufficient to prevent 9-11. And 9-11 did not have to happen. Uh, but a lot of serious mistakes were made. There were some wrong assumptions. There was an understanding of terrorism and al-Qaeda, but there was, the assumption was they would act abroad. They wouldn't be so brazen uh, so competent to think they could attack targets in the United States. So if you if your assumptions are wrong, essentially your analysis is going to be wrong because you're going to ignore some very good evidence. And we had we had good evidence. We we knew who a lot of these uh, individuals were of the various uh, hijackers. Uh, We had them, two of them we traced to uh, California, and they were the paymasters for at least 11 of the 19 uh, hijackers. But we lost sight of a lot of this information. So there was real intelligence failure, but it was legitimate failure. Now, there's always going to be conspiracy theory. You had it in Pearl Harbor. The argument was Franklin Roosevelt wanted to get us into war, so he stood back and, and watched as Japan attack Pearl Harbor, because we had very good intelligence on Pearl Harbor. The uh, Navy Department had done some excellent work in breaking the Japanese military code. And conspiracy theory is always attractive to a lot of people, uh, because it, it's an easy explanation for everything that's really controversial. Uh, you have conspiracy theory uh, today. You know, this this whole uh, silliness about a each state that's operating within the military right. intelligence community. um and the Justice Department as a deep state as opposed to Trump, you know, having been in the uh, federal bureaucracy a life for essentially for 42 years, you know, the, the deep state is it's far from what actually exists within this very conservative community in the military and in the uh, intelligence community. Um, so, this is a problem that is that has always been there.
1: And you refer to, so, I alluded to uh, Ray McGovern and, and, and mentioning uh, 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 military industrial media complex and you know, you've know you alluded to the military industrial congressional complex what was Eisenhower referring to in your opinion there military industrial complex
0: well I can give you a good story about that because uh, I was going to Johns Hopkins University when Eisenhower was president and his brother was the president of Johns Hopkins University and I was on a, a student committee that met with Eisenhower Milton Eisenhower uh, two or three times a year, and Milton used to go into the White House. He always went in a, a back way uh, that was never announced. That Dwight was ta- dealing or sort of consulting with his yeah. brother Milton. Uh, and when Milton Eisenhower saw the speech, it said military-industrial complex, but in Dwight Eisenhower's hand, he wrote in congressional. But when he gave the speech, he dropped congressional. And his brother Milton asked Dwight, Why did you Why did you drop congressional? And he said, I really think they're the problem, but it was hard enough to take on the military and industry. I couldn't take on Congress, too. And if you think of Congress and the voting on the defense budget, and look at the recent defense budget. It's it's a record budget named after the late Senator John McCain, which is probably appropriate because he never saw a weapon (laughs) system he didn't fall (laughs) in love with. It's $716 billion. So when Congress looks at a defense budget, it has nothing to do with defense or national security. It's about jobs. Yeah. So a lot of the weapon systems that the Pentagon actually would like to get rid of, uh, the congressional representatives won't let go of because it means jobs in their state or their uh, district uh, uh-huh. might be lost. So they are clearly uh, part of the problem. But this argument that uh, we don't spend enough on defense, you know, we spend more than just about the entire international community. Because <laughs> when I did a book on national defense or national insecurity, the cost of American militarism, I allocated a trillion dollars for defense, not the $600 billion figure at the time several years ago, because I added in the Veterans Administration. I added ah. in the intelligence community. That's $70 billion. 90% of the intelligence budget is for the military. I added in the Department of Energy because they control nuclear weapons and do the maintenance on nuclear weapons. So when you add up that, it's over a trillion dollars. now. Last year in Trump's defense budget, he added $51 billion to our defense budget. (laughs) That $51 billion happens to equal the entire Russian defense budget, the total Russian. Just in one increment, that equals what the Russians spend. And we talk about the Russian and Chinese threat now. We're exaggerating the threat just as we always did. And Democrats and Republicans are equally guilty of this. But look at China. Do they have bases all over the world? Of course not. They have one naval facility that they use around the Horn of Africa on Djibouti, which we wanted there uh, to help with the problem of piracy in in the Red Sea. But everything they have is in their own region, including the South China Sea. You could say the same thing about Russia. If you get away from the former Soviet space, the only two facilities they have, one air and one navy, both in Syria, which is not exactly a secure Uh, operational environment (laughs) to begin with, we probably have 700 military facilities around the world. We could close half of these facilities and not compromise the national security of the United States. And there's a tremendous expense. Uh, Right now, there's concern about uh, whether or not we should leave Afghanistan. We've been in Afghanistan for 17 years. We've spent hundreds hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, in Afghanistan, and we talk about the problem of corruption. Well, the problem of corruption has been created by American dollars. It hasn't been created by the Afghan economy. They're corrupt because they have all of this money to play with, and it's been played with in a very corrupt fashion. So here, I'm kind of sympathetic to what Trump is trying to do. He's going about it in the, the worst possible way. But if you read the news today, there, we, are, we could be close to an agreement with the Taliban. Uh, that would allow us uh, to leave. And I think after 17 years, with nothing to me at stake in terms of American national interest, how can you ask young American women uh, to sacrifice their lives um, to get in the line of fire in a place like Afghanistan, which doesn't serve American concerns whatsoever? Afghanistan is a problem for its neighbors. Let China worry about Afghanistan. Let Pakistan, let Iran worry about that. What we do is make the national security policies of Afghans' neighbors more stable. We've done Iran all sorts of favors. We knocked off the Taliban, their rival on the east, and we knocked off Saddam Hussein, their rival on the west. And now we wring our hands over increased Iranian influence in the region. Well, we created that influence right. for them. We did it with their military. So it's really outrageous.
1: So, uh, Melvin, are you familiar with Professor Al McCoy? Um, Politics yes, but,
0: well I know his uh, writings and they've been excellent over the years
1: okay yeah great okay so so the question the question I have is is it possible uh, on various levels and, and and certainly you you've you've been in the CIA for for many 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 years you you might have an insight that that the average American doesn't have. Is it possible that 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 some of these kind of wars, i.e., you know, the, the the war on terror, but then but then there's this whole issue of 17 years in Afghanistan, and 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 uh, uh, is it possible that some of these? Some of these wars that the United States is fighting, they may have the you know they may have their hands behind their backs because is, is it possible that they're 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 involved in these things and they're kind of maybe I say they but we doing the dirty work of a former global empire that would be Britain is is, is that possible in your mind in your, in your uh, no you know, I don't think that's the
0: problem the problem is we've taken on uh, insurgencies and I look at Vietnam. Vietnam was a civil war, and we have never been successful against an insurgency or an opposition that's had a sanctuary. So Vietnam had Cambodia and Laos as sanctuaries. The Taliban has had Pakistan as a sanctuary. Uh, In Iraq, you've had sanctuaries for the Sunnis in Syria to a certain extent. And no power has been successful. So what we've done is sent our military, and we keep saying we're the strongest military power in the world, but we've lost three wars. We've lost Vietnam. we lost Iraq. We've lost in Afghanistan. Really, now we're negotiating. It's like the Paris peace talks of the 1960s and 70s. We're negotiating our surrender. I mean, (laughs) that's not what the journalists will tell you, but that's what we're doing with the Taliban. And there's some regrettable aspects to this. Uh, I mean – the role of American, of uh, Afghan women and, and children is going to be a lot tougher under a Taliban regime. We, we know what they did when they were in power uh, in the 1990s, but I think we've done everything we can do over nearly two decades. And if we can't be successful, why are we just prolonging uh, the agony and outcome of what Afghanistan is going to be? And the Taliban are not minority people. They're members of the Pashtun community. That's the majority tribe in Afghanistan. So they, all, they have sanctuaries not only outside the country in Pakistan, which wants to restore the Taliban government, except we call Pakistan an ally, which is nonsense. People should read Stephen Cold's book on Directorate S about the role of the Pakistani intelligence services undermining our policies in Afghanistan. Um, and we're just, uh, to me, just uh, prolonging the grief Uh, that Afghanistan is ultimately going to have to deal with.
1: Is it it, it smart for the United States to continue uh, their efforts in in Afghanistan, or should they pull out, or would that just completely destabilize things?
0: I think we need to get out. And and the understanding now is we're negotiating the terms with the Taliban to make sure that an al-Qaeda group will never uh, reappear. And my feeling is, why in the world would Taliban uh, allow... A group like Al-Qaeda, which did attack us on 9-11 to reappear, knowing that we have military resources in the region. We don't have to be in Afghanistan to strike. Uh, We have a huge air base in Qatar. We have huge naval uh, resources in the Indian Ocean. We have uh, secret bases that we use. We don't like to talk about them in in Pakistan. Uh, And we probably even have an ally in terms of India if we want to move – uh, in that direction. So, we don't need troops. We don't need 14,000 uh, military forces, which is what the United States has uh, in Afghanistan. So, I think we can easily get out. It, you know, it takes a period of time to withdraw forces because you have to do it and maintain their safety. So, force protection is very important. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight, but it's so overdue. You know, this is the problem that Gorbachev inherited when he took over the Soviet Union in 1985. And he gave a secret speech in 1986 when he referred to Afghanistan as a bleeding wound. He was honest. So he told the military, you have a year to get this right. If you can't get it right, I'm getting out. And in 1988, he announced the timetable. Uh, And a lot of us won money from people like Robert Gates, who was the deputy director of the CIA then, who said that the Soviets are lying. Well, they weren't lying, and they adhered to the timetable. And in 1989, they were out just as they said they would be uh, out. Now, we need to get the hell out, too. Uh, we've tried to do what the Soviets did that no empire has been able to do in Afghanistan, which is to build a centralized government. Afghanistan has never had a centralized government. Even when they had a monarchy, it was always decentralized under warlords and these various ethnic tribes. And that's what Afghanistan, that's its history. That's why they call Afghanistan the graveyard of empires. Uh, like Alexander the Great. Wrote about it. Exactly, Alexander the Great, um, the British... Sure. Uh, uh failed uh, the, the Soviets failed and we failed yeah. you know, how much how much uh, history do you have to repeat to realize you're doing the same thing over again uh, before you realize there's something very neurotic or psychotic about what you're doing because it just isn't working
1: so Melvin what is the what is the best foot forward for the, let's say America but let's start with the CIA how, how does the CIA begin to mend itself
0: well the first thing that CIA has to do, and in some ways it's what the nation has to do, is to consider what demilitarization would be all about. The CIA has become a paramilitary organization. Right. That's not what Harry Truman wanted. Foreign policy has essentially been militarized. The State Department counts for virtually nothing, actually. They, they don't play, have any serious role to play. Uh, Pompeo runs around as a global. Uh, emissary uh, representing the United States, but that's not how you conduct uh, policy. And you have to demilitarize by having a reasonable defense budget. We shouldn't be spending over a trillion dollars for defense, which is forcing cutbacks in real domestic needs. So if you look at, um, well, Pogo would be my example here. We've met the enemy and he is us. We're, We're spending our money and our resources and our investment on the wrong things, and they're not military. They're, it's infrastructure, it's right. education, it's doing something about social and economic uh, inequality. So until we recognize that we're uh, the greatest independent variable in the international scene in terms of the military, the presence of the military, the use of the military, you know, has done with military forces? What we've done in sending military forces. Thousands, thousands of miles away from our border, that's that's not protecting our sovereignty. That's not protecting our independence, our way of life. This is just weakening the United States. You don't know, have to look at the cost of an Iraq over a long period of time or the cost of an Af- Afghanistan over a long period of time. Uh, we're paying mightily for that in terms of what it's done to our domestic structure. And but so you- we have to come to grips with that. And I don't see... Democrats any closer to this uh, than Republicans. The only uh, two speeches I've heard recently that have made any sense, one by Bernie Sanders and one by Elizabeth Warren, and I think other political candidates have been leery, have been afraid of taking on uh, this uh, huge problem of too much spending on the military, devoting too many resources to the military.
1: Do you think the founding fathers, you you opened... Uh, with the with quote from George Washington, do you think that these Founding Fathers ever envisioned this type of massive empire? That's exactly what
0: they didn't want, and that's why the found, when you look at the Founding Fathers, except for Alexander Hamilton for the most part, yeah. they all came from Europe fleeing uh, empires, feeding, fleeing from uh, monarchy, fleeing from one man, being able to take a whole country into a uh, battle. And that's why when George Washington said no entangling alliances, which we observed until 1948 – remember, until the North Atlantic Treaty Organization – and you can sort of justify NATO, and NATO had good works until Bill Clinton thought it would be smart to expand it, which really was the undermining of uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and the source of our problems right now uh, with Russia, but no one likes to talk about that. We observed what George Washington called for, no entangling alliances. And I think Washington understood that we should defend their sovereignty by being uh, independent, working within alliances on a uh, episodic or scenario-driven basis, uh, supporting international institutions, which I think we do with the Un- United Nations and arms control. But recently you've had a move away from that, and now you have a national security advisor, John Bolton, who's opposed to international organizations and international agreements. You have a president who tore up the Iran nuclear accord, who tore up the Paris Paris climate accord, who says privately that he wants to get out of NATO, which would be a huge mistake right right now because of the instability uh, in Europe. You know, we're watching Europe uh, disintegrate. That's probably too strong a word, but if you look at what happens, what's happening to our three most important uh, allies, really, Britain, France, and Germany, Germany's led by, to me, the leader of the free world, Angela Merkel, but she's finished. Uh, she's not going to run again, and I think Germany's going to be weaker in the absence of Merkel. Uh, I think Macron is a very interesting figure, but he's under attack. The Yellow Vest movement in France is weak in his leadership, and Theresa May in, in Britain is a disaster because her... Uh, predecessor, David Cameron, thought it would be a smart idea to let the people vote on Brexit. Well, it didn't turn out the way David Cameron thought it would. Uh, so Britain is about to make itself irrelevant. Uh, German, and France will be preoccupied with domestic uh, matters. And we're led by, uh, to me, a troglodyte who has no understanding of any of these international <laughs> developments or international trends. So... This is, as the Chinese say, may you live in interesting times. These are going to be interesting times.
1: Melvin, incredible words uh, and some incredible things to look at here for, 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 for listeners and for everyone. Um, do you have some closing remarks for listeners?
0: Well, I think... The important thing for listeners to understand is you're not going to get change in this country by sitting around in your living room and arguing about the need for change. It's a time that calls for some activism, whether it means getting out on the street or writing letters to the editor or calling your congressman and and getting uh, on uh, the ledger because they count these calls and they weigh these opinions uh, when, when people express themselves. Or if you can't do any of that, at least donate money to groups that are trying to organize, like the American Civil Liberties Union and what they've done in opposing the uh, travel ban, which I think is a racist uh, policy to begin with. It's it's time for activity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, American Carnage, Trump's War on American Governance. I believe that's uh, available the 9th of May, and uh, you can get that, I would imagine, at MelvinGoodman.com?
0: It, you can get it there. It'll be on, available on Amazon.com as well.
1: Wonderful. Uh, Melvin Goodman, ladies and gentlemen. Melvin, thank you for joining uh, Winwood Radio and Discussions of Truth.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you, Ian. Good luck to you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, that is Melvin Goodman. He spent decades in... Washington, CIA, U.S. Army, uh, the man has some incredible insight. And and as always, look, bottom line is, since we started this program here just over two years ago, we have been very, very fortunate and have received some incredible guests. Whistleblower at the CIA is what Melvin's... uh, typically most uh, better known for. Um, and again, uh, that's a Daniel Ellsberg um, quote that I read at the, the the beginning uh, in regards to, uh, to, that, uh, to that book. Bush League Diplomacy, How the Neoconservatives are Putting the World at Risk. There's another one of his books, and Failure of Intelligence, The Decline and Fall of the CIA. Is this a reoccurring theme Folks, is, is this a reoccurring theme that um, not only CIA, but we've got some major issues here in the United States? And and like Melvin says, you can't change things if you're sitting, sitting at home on the couch. So hopefully uh, you are listening to that or listening to this and, and not doing so. And if you are, stand up. I'll be right back. Uh, this is Discussions of Truth. Oh, to get on. That's it. James Hetfield, uh, Metallica, kill them all. Um, seek out corruption, destroy it. Wow. I mean, uh, dude, we're hitting heavy here. Um, Melvin could not have delivered some more pertinent shots um, to the state of... He said it. You know, look at Germany and, and Britain. Um as an american or if you're living in in, in the in in the us and again I, I i try to speak to the global citizen because we're all we're all in this together and at the end of the day we're we're all looking for peace and happiness and cooperation uh but it just so happens that we uh, do rely on others to make decisions for us allah uh, congress uh, donald trump um Federal Reserve what is that what is the Federal Reserve who 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 who's in that okay so um anyway uh, melvin took some nasty shots and um and 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 look uh, he's not the first to do so as a former CIA employee um i look forward to inviting him back on the program and uh would like to get a little more, dig a little bit more regarding uh, technology, Incubell, or uh, and, um, and 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 in the state of uh, the technology and and uh, um, intelligence in that regard. So next, uh, excuse me, the twentieth. Uh, Andy Thomas joins us. And, and let me get back to that. Uh, this, this will be a really interesting conversation. Richard Lighthouse, okay? Uh, 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 Richard Lighthouse. Uh, uh, present the conspiracy theory. You do your own research. You uh, do what you want with it. The fact of the matter is uh, JFK got his head blown off because why? Right? Um, George Bush Jr. went into Iraq because of weapons of mass destruction? Um, yet, like Melvin said, we got 17 years in Afghanistan still. Halliburton stock, and he mentioned Vice, is risen rose 500% while Dick Cheney was was uh, was in the White House as VP. So, so question authority. You've got you've, you've got no choice. Uh, so Richard Lighthouse will deliver some very interesting uh, conversation and. Yeah, I like I like I like the idea of um, looking at uh, looking at London and its banking system. I, I like that idea. Okay, I like that idea. Uh, the British pound is certainly more valuable than the U.S. dollar, and the, the Queen of England has. Uh, if you look at her, just if you enter Google something like, "You know, how much does the Queen of England? How much land does a Queen of England rule over?" I think it's I think it's something like a fifth of the planet. Um, and and like Melvin's mentioned you know, these are these are monarchies and systems i.e uh, uh, central bank that our founding fathers ours being the United States uh, left and walked away from <laughs> and I like when he said Alexander Hamilton because uh, because uh, you know, Hamilton uh, designed a, a bank that it uh, wasn't central but it wasn't exactly what Thomas Jefferson wanted I'll be right back uh, with you. I'll be right back here Wednesday, next Wednesday, five o'clock p.m. As I always am. This is Winwood Radio. I am your host of Discussions of Truth weekly Wednesdays at five. Iantrotte. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. I A N T R O T T I E R R. And until next week, be awesome. Ah.